0: Everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where we want to give a shout-out to Gourmet Glot and Simply Sushi. They made pre-split chopsticks for use on Shabbos and Yontif, and frankly, I think that's genius. Good morning, folks. Thanks for listening. I'm Miriam el Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch. I am coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side. I am joined by Avrami behind the board, Boker Tov, Avrami.
1: Boker Tov, happy Hanukkah. I don't
0: know what that was. Chag to you. Thank you for schlepping in, as always. But this morning, the schlep was from Brooklyn, so uh, I'm a little less sympathetic to your commute.
1: The drive was pretty good last night, too.
0: All right. Nice to hear. And a bokeh to Danny uh, as well. He's around here somewhere. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you're a returning listener, thanks, as always, for making us part of your day. Please follow us on Twitter, net, all one word, and Miriam L. Wallach, all one word. By the way, shout out to 8th Day and to Arya Kunzler. They played... Or I should say, Ari played with Eighth Day last night as they were the musical talent for the Hanukkah HaGiga at Hafter. Yes, it was a rockin' good time, and uh, my kids came home singing Yalili for an additional three hours, so that's always a lot of fun. But as always, the guys are lovely. They were on Jamin Amon this morning for a few minutes discussing their concert tonight at Yeshiva Flatbush, and we wish everyone all the best. By the way, we're going to quickly do a fortune cookie. We haven't done it in a while. If you're looking for the picture of the chopsticks that I just mentioned during my shout-out. You can find it on my Instagram feed, my Twitter feed, my Facebook page. I saw it yesterday, and I had to post it. Hey, Avrami, this is a good fortune. Hey, it's a good fortune. It's good. It's fortunate. A little courtesy will go a long way. It's true. It is true. Hold that door open for the next person, I did that this morning. You did? Yes, and a woman said, Happy Hanukkah. Nice! Yes, good times. Did you uh Do you have subway etiquette, by the way, as I refer to it, letting people come out of the car before you storm into the car? I do my best. Yeah, because that's, frankly, that is a pet peeve of mine. Chag Urim Sameach. I know people are shocked that I have a pet peeve. Yes. Shocked, I say. Check out Chag Urim Sameach to everyone. If you missed Soul Farm this morning on JM The Aim, you need to catch that on Archive, which, knowing of Rummy, will be up in just a few hours. They are completely... Hours? Uh, Minutes. Less than that. Oh, Avrami was just offended. Sorry, I'm going to give a little courtesy now. Avrami, (laughs) I apologize. How how long is it going to take? It's already up. Oh my gosh. All right. I doubt Avrami. Uh, It is gluten-free baking week, folks, and Naomi Nachman will join me towards the end of this program to discuss how to make gluten-free donuts, because frankly, I have no idea how to do that, but I am unbelievably excited. I'm For my guest who is joining me on the phone right now, and I'm going to cut out all the other things that I usually go through because David A. Adler is on the phone. David A. Adler is notably the author and creator of the Cam Jansen Mystery Series. He is also the author of the Picture Book Series and the Jeffrey Bone Series. He is has several acclaimed works about the Holocaust for young readers. He is also a celebrated author who has received the Sydney Taylor Book Award, the Boston Globe Horn Book Award, the Golden Kite Award Honor, and Orbis Pictus Award Honor for book citations. And, ironically enough, David A. Adler is a former math teacher with a degree in marketing. He began writing in 1976, and while Cam would be born a year after, there is no end in sight for, the, his, for this beloved author. You can visit his website, Davidadler.com. You can check out more about Cam Jansen by going to camjansen.com, or frankly, you can just speak to your kids. Good morning, David. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Chag Sameach to you. Chag Sameach to you. It is unusual for me in my present role as general manager here to often get to talk about children's literature, which is uh, not only my former life, but an absolute love of my life. So I thank you for giving me that opportunity.
1: More of my life because you were a child?
0: <laughs> no, that, that, that means that I grew up. No, but as a, as a former English teacher, um, it was definitely an opportunity to sit and talk with kids and, and explore literature with children, not just those who live in my home, but those who are in my classroom. And I don't get to do that often, so it's nice to talk about children's books. Okay. I, so again, I appreciate it. If I turn to any of my elementary school children and I say the word click to them, they know exactly what I'm talking about because that is an immediate reference to Cam Jansen. And explain to me, at what point you knew that that was going to be her tagline.
1: Well, when I first created the character, which was um, in 1977, the first book came out in 1980, uh, I wanted to make her memorable. So it sort of grew like any any character. You know, I started off with a photographic memory, and that would so- help her solve mysteries. And um, from there, I tried to come up with the... Uh, a nickname. Uh, originally, her nickname was Kodak, Kodak <laughs> Barris, for right. the, the then-famous camera company. But the people at Penguin said, you have to get permission from Kodak, and they denied it. Oh! Uh, which was actually fortunate, because you know what Kodak was, Right. which it no longer is. Children today have no clue what Kodak was, Right. because uh, the company is uh, pretty much out of business, um, and then, you know, it, 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 like all things, you know, you start with the seed and then it just keeps growing, and that's what happened with Cam, and the click came out of that. Fortunate for me, it was all there in the first, uh, first book, uh, because with the series, whatever you establish is really what you're left with. You can't add on new things, you know, seven books down.
0: Right, it's fortuitous for you that Kodak denied it, but so short-sighted for them. I mean, I imagine that somebody at one point was looking back at, and and thinking over that decision, looking at the success and the legacy that is Cam Jansen, and saying, "Man, that was a bad call." I don't think so. I don't <laughs>
1: think the person even there are you know. There's a vice president in charge of no ah, and and I think all these kinds of requests go directly to him. <laughs> And he just says no. It's like you know, if, you know, if you have a child who has a speech impediment and he asks you something, you don't know what he asks. Just say no. Right. So, and you're usually pretty safe. And I think that was, you know, they said that Kodak is their name is their most valuable asset, and they can't let me u- let me use it. So, uh, you know, that's when I came up with the camera, which is shortened to Cam, and then Cam, uh, you know, says click and solves mysteries. Uh, I I was invited. I, I got a, a Jewish award a few years ago, and they asked me to speak about Cam. And I mentioned that uh, if you read the Cam Jansons, you'll never find her doing anything against halacha. <laughs> Uh it, At one point, she was eating lunch in one of the books. And for lunch, she was eating a cream cheese sandwich. And my editor said to me, who eats a cream cheese? What child eats a cream cheese sandwich? Sure. And I said, Cam Jansen does. And that was the end of the uh, end of the discussion.
0: That's funny. That's a great tidbit. It's something actually I never picked up on. I guess I didn't. I, I didn't ever put two and two together that Cam never violates halakha. But I, and it and it brings me to a part of the conversation I w- I was thinking about getting to later. But it's definitely an opportunity to talk about now. You as a from Jew have um, you know, made appearances. As, as, a, as a distinguished author in numerous different places, or a celebrated author. How is being an, a from Jew, an Orthodox Jew, in this field either relevant or irrelevant to your work?
1: Well, it's relevant to me as a person. Uh, in my work, uh, it does dictate some of the things I will write and some of the things I won't write. I mean, I've been asked to write a um, a Christmas cam or a Christmas, Whoa. and I've never done it. Wow. Wow. Um, Although there are a lot of Hanukkah books written by uh, by non-Jews. But I, I just didn't, I don't feel comfortable doing it. And I have never done that. Uh, at at For a long time, you know, I get invited to speak at a lot of conferences. And for a long time, my publishers said, you know, it, it, they didn't even pass on the invitations because they figured Shabbat would be a problem. And then they found, you know, I speak Friday, I speak Sunday, and in Shabbat I take care of myself. So the last 10, 12 years, uh, probably more, 15 years, I've been going to conferences, and if they're you know run over Shabbos, so then I just, you know, I, depending where I am, I you know I take care of myself. Uh, but so I did uh, stop that, and there are a lot of places that I've said no to, simply because it was a Friday afternoon or a Friday night program. So I've said no to it, but I've said yes to enough that. I really shouldn't complain that I've missed out on all these other things. You know?
0: You've also written your own Hanukkah book. That came out a couple of years ago. It, it begs the question, or it doesn't beg the question, does the story of Hanukkah make for a great children's story? I guess the answer would be clearly yes.
1: Well, I mean, the book is doing very well. But, you, you know, if, I hate to lead the conversation because you're the one asking the questions. <laughs> but the first Jewish book I did was The House on the Roof, which is a Sukkot story. And if you read it very carefully, and this was totally intentional, you can tell if the man who builds the house of the Sukkot on, on the roof of his apartment building keeps one day of yunta <laughs> at the beginning, or two. <laughs> now, why did not I make it clear that he kept one or two? Well, I want it to be as universal as it could be for you know the Jewish community, right. and it wasn't essential to the story that he kept two. But if you read it and try to point to it... you. It, it's not there, and that was intentional. And in all of my books, um, I try to make them acceptable to, to Haredi, orthodox conservative reform, and whoever else. Uh, it's not always possible, but uh, that's what I try.
0: Who, speaking of, of, of be, being able to appeal to a wider audience or to a greater audience, you know, Cam as the heroine. Um, I'm, I'm sure, unfortunately, would limit some people to being able to bring it in their homes In their opinion, where, of course, I think we own absolutely every book in the entire series in my home. But I, I guess the question, we have so many questions about Cam in general, but who did the first illustration of Cam?
1: Susanna Natty.
0: And she still works with you?
1: Well, um, she did the all the Cams, because the are two Cam series, regular Cam and young Cam. Right. She did all of them for 25 years Wow, and then she dropped out of the older level cams and just does the young cams and Joy Allen does the uh, older cams now
0: is it is it um, important to you? I know that you have a long-standing relationship with your publisher and obviously you have long-standing relationships with your illustrators how does that how does that work together with your longstanding relationship with this character:
1: Well, I mean it surprise you, but um, I mean, Susanna Natty and I have never met. Wow. We really, uh, you know, when you talk about working together, it would be more accurate to say we work on the same project. Ha! And I didn't speak with her because the editors try to keep us apart. Really? And that's uh, for a few reasons. One is, I'm convinced, is control. Ah. (laughs) Um, And the the other is, uh, you know, I'm generally very easygoing, I think. But if I had a picture in my head of what the character should look like, I don't care how... How talented anyone is, you can't illustrate something that's in someone else's head. Right. If you're really talented, you illustrate what's in your own head, and um, so that's part of it. And I've met a lot of difficult authors who are just never satisfied with the art. Um, and but I think it's also a matter of control. Um, and I've been told uh, by an editor, I know it was no longer my editor, to, you know, basically mind your own business. Really. Um, and I've had artwork that. They never used to show me sketches, one of the publishers. I've, I've worked for a lot of different publishers. I mean, the cams are all with the same publisher, right. Viking Penguin. Um, and I've done a lot of books with Viking Penguin. But I've worked with a lot of other publishers and a lot of editors. And there are times when I, I just don't even see the sketches. Wow. Uh, you know, I send in the book, and then I get the book when it's printed.
0: I am, I mean, I'm completely shocked. I have to imagine so many of my listeners are also completely shocked. It wouldn't even occur to me, but... I guess, does that at all hamper your creativity or it's just you have faith in the, in the publishing house, you have faith in your editor, and you're just going to go with it?
1: Well, I, I'm responsible for the text.
0: Got it, right. Uh, but,
1: I, but I've also had times when um, editors have changed my text. One of the publishers, uh, I don't want to mention them, but a major, major, major house, no one would not recognize the name of the publishing house, had a terrible habit of changing the text oh. without showing it to me. That's terrible. And uh, when I, I, I saw the text changes when the galleys came, actually with my very first book, and I, I was not an experienced author, I was still a math teacher, and I saw the galleys, and my text had been changed. And I hit the roof, you know, my ego said, how dare they change my words? So then I said, don't be an idiot, David. <laughs> if it's better, don't complain.
0: Huh? So they had
1: about 12 changes. I complained about six or seven of them. They probably thought they got the other five past me, but they didn't. I liked them, so I left them. Wow. Uh, and and I've uh, done a few books with that publishing house, and it wasn't always it wasn't the same editor. Later on, I did um, a few more books with them. It's something about the house and arrogance that you know. I mean, I, I don't I, I rewrite all the time, but it's still spo- it has my name on the front. And the the most ironic thing was I did an autobiography. There's a series of autobiographies sure. of children's book authors. And I did one. And I get the text back, and it has changes. Huh. And, and it wasn't, I won't even say that my writing was better than the, than the editor's, but the changes were incorporated into the text so that um, the voice changed. In other words, you could be as talented a writer as the next person, but if you mix them two together, you have voice changes. Mm. So I complained right. to the editor, and she was, whatever, I said, look, if you want, you could do whatever you want. Just take my name off as the author. But you really can't have an autobiography written by somebody else. <laughs> so, right. So she gave, she gave in <laughs> on that. Uh, and I've had it, you know, a, a, quite a few times uh, where editors make changes and they forget, you know, you're the editor and I'm the author.
0: Well, well clearly your brand and the Cam Jansen brand works tremendously. I did a, a quick Google search of Cam Jansen and I had over a million results. Wow. Things pop Yeah, exactly. Things popped up in various different places and then I went to the iTunes store. Because while I am a big believer in turning the pages of a book, I do understand that my kids would rather go to an iPad. So I went to the iTunes store and I searched Cam Jansen and to see all of the opportunities that kids have to interact with your literature and with your character on a on a technological level was not only interesting to me and exciting to me, but also spoke to me um, on the level of of importance and relevance of children's literature, even in 2014.
1: Well, you know, is, we're talking a lot about Cam Jansen. I should tell you uh, that I have a new series about a Jewish boy. Right. Published by a secular house. Um, the fact that he's Jewish is, I guess, incidental to them, but not to me. And uh, it's, the boy's name is Danny Cohn. Danny Cohn. He, Cohn. Okay. Right? So there's no question about right. what his religion is. <laughs> and um, while each of the stories stands on its own, but in each of the stories, I mean, it's his voice. He's talking, and he does the doodles. Uh, the first one is welcoming the stranger. If you talk, you know, what's the major theme of the story? The second one is returning lost objects, and in the second one, it's the teacher's dog who was run off, and it's a whole. It's they're said to be very funny, and and uh, so there's, there's a whole thing about uh, you know how they find the lost dog, mm-hmm. and. Danny realizes that if the dog is not at home, he's got to be eating something. (laughs) So he figures maybe he's getting scraps of meat behind a butcher shop. You know, when they trim the... uh, Sure. Maybe they throw it back there, and maybe that's where he's going. So he goes to a butcher shop and hasn't seen the dog. And then he goes home for dinner, and his mother says, why don't you go to our butcher shop, the kosher butcher shop? So it's not only a question of, you know, is he Jewish, but... He's pretty from, you know. <laughs> although he goes to a public school, you know. Right. But uh, again, you'll never see him eat treif. Um It's amazing. And, and um, it's it's never been brought up, but it's the type of book I, I have. I have uh, neighbors. I don't want to get too specific, but uh, grandchildren and great grandchildren of one of the most prominent uh, rabbis of the 20th century, and uh, my neighbors' grandchildren live in Lakewood. Mm. And their children only go to uh, this, a children's library. Got it. Jewish children's library that uh, basically chooses the books that are appropriate. Okay. And But when those, I guess their great-grandchildren, come to my neighborhood, before Shabbat they come over at my house and they, nice. I give them books.
0: Nice. And they know my
1: books are, they're not necessarily, uh, they're not Haredi, but they're, I, I call them parva, you know?
0: I was going to say they have a heksher. Well, they have a hashsher, you know,
1: <laughs> is, is it is it kosher meat? No, but it's it's an apple, you know, you can eat right. it it's not a problem. So um they they uh pick up books here. I that, uh, the
0: Danny maybe a little bit more than an apple, I guess the, It'd be a pretzel, you know? Right, exactly. You're making them Zonos. Right. It needs a Hexcher. I should also make mention, by the way, that you have a number of books ab- that are biographies, that are biographies written for children, including the first one, which was on Golda Ear. Just tell me how you picked or why you picked Golda as the first character, or I should say as the first biography.
1: Actually, that's not who I picked as the first. That's the first one I wrote. Oh. I really wanted to write Gertrude Hedley first, but nobody was interested. I've done it since for Harcourt. It did very nicely. Um... You know, it's very important when you do a biography or any nonfiction subject that it's something you're interested in, because right. if not, it becomes, dare I say, it becomes like homework, you know, something right, you just sure. have to do. And I've done some biographies about people that I didn't have a great interest in, and it was a real chore. Mm. So I had obviously, you know, for obvious reasons, an interest in Golda Meir. So right, they, sure. But what I, what I did with her, you know, she lived in various different places, so the chapters were based on location. So there's a chapter, Pinsk, and that chapter talks about her life in Pinsk. Mm. And the next chapter is Milwaukee. But how did I find out what Pinsk was like in 1900? Now, it's a difficult job to research unless you do what I did. I bought the uh, 1905 Jewish set of encyclopedias. Incredible. And when I look up Pinsk, I don't have to figure out is that 1900 or is that 1987? Because it's in the year. Because it's in the year. Brilliant. I found the kinds of detail—I still have it. the set. I have the kinds of detail that you can only find uh, in a, in a book of, like that. That's incredible. You can't Find it if you go to the World Book today and look up Pinsk.
0: No, certainly better, not. You know, I, I wonder it. if you'd be able to find Pinsk at all in the World Book.
1: I don't. I haven't looked at it. Before, <laughs> but, but it was there, and there it was with you know that making matches.
0: You know, right. The, uh, Interesting.
1: Not Chuduchum, not be kind of, you know, light candles. with Start a fire. That was a major um, industry in Pinsk. That's incredible. Hey, they wouldn't say that at night, you know, because it's of no interest now. But right. It was when I tried to describe what Pinsk was like when Golda
0: Meir was there. Especially in, in today when all all my kids are doing in order to do research is Googling something. That is a... Old school, but accurate and, and hardcore way of researching, and it's something in its right time. David A. Adler, beloved author, uh, children's book author of over two hundred different titles, joins us. And David, I have literally qu- time for like one more question. My my last guest is on hold, but I just want to ask you. I love the fact that Cam stays timeless; that she never gets old. How important do you think that is for a character?
1: It's very important for a series. Right when I when I. Um... I always outline my mysteries so that the editor can see what the story is, because no, doesn't matter how good the writing is, if the story doesn't work, it doesn't work. So she approves the outline, or we talk about it, or make changes, and then I do the writing. And uh, I guess it was about the fifth or sixth or seventh cam, I outlined it, and it was. Um, something, there was a lot of psychological. There were a lot of psychological elements to the story, and my editor said. No, you want to write that, write it, but it can't be with Cam. It mm. has to be consistent. And um, if, if the character keeps growing and growing and growing, uh, it's a different kind of series. The way Cam is set up, you can pick up volume number 23 and then go back to volume number 2. You can pick them up in any order. Um, and uh, that's one of the limits that I have as a writing uh, in a series, but I've written a lot of other books and individual titles. And that's my way of growing out as an author. of interesting. The series. But the character has to be consistent. The reader has to know when she picks up the third book in the series, she knows what she's getting.
0: That's interesting. That's a really, really good point. And I will tell you that Cam Jansen is a staple in the Wallach home, as I know it is in so many homes and so many personal libraries. And I thank you for giving her to us. I appreciate that wholeheartedly. Thank you for talking to me. A pleasure. David A. Adler, thank you so much for joining me. Again, you can find more information about David by going to davidaadler.com or about Cam Jansen by going to camjansen.com. We are going to evidently go overtime here at uh, That's Life because Naomi Nachman, our own Aussie Gourmet and host of Table for Two, joins me on the phone. Naomi, good morning. Hi Miriam, how are you? I am well. Good morning. Okay, so Naomi, it's gluten-free baking week, and fry- oh no, uh, yeah, crazy. I, It is crazy, simply because I mean I am not mockpid in the gluten-free department, but there are plenty of people who are, and we have spent so much time talking about donuts and so much talking about about uh, the various things that we fry, etc. For Hanukkah, that it occurred to me that if we don't talk about a gluten-free option for a donut, we are we're ruling out half of our listenership, Naomi. We
2: are leaving out quite a large portion of my, of the listenership, including one of my children is a gluten free child. (laughs) So, you know, we've been scrambling and looking for very interesting things to come up with and exchanges from flours to gluten, from wheat flour to gluten free flour. Actually found in Gourmet Glide in the freezer section some gluten free donuts as well. So that was good. But, of course, we have to try to make our
0: own. So, <laughs> Right. So tell me how we do this.
2: Okay. So, you know, I'm not the biggest baker. I love to cook real part. I'm not the biggest dessert person. People quite often ask me, are you, do you like to cook or bake? And I'll always say I always prefer to, uh, to cook and not, uh, not bake. But I had to come up with something for my daughter. So I reached out to three really good friends of mine in the food blogging world, and they were able to guide me which are the best. And there are lots of tips which I'm going to share as well, which are the best recipes and the best tips. So, uh, Naomi Ross from um, Jewish Cooking Concepts, Melinda Strauss from Kitchen Tested, and Melissa K from LittleMissCakes.com all gave me some
0: brilliant ideas. Fantastic. So, in two minutes or less, because if I go too far into the live lunch, Nahum's going to kill me. Uh Oh, yeah. We cannot have that. We can't have that. That would be bad. Right. So So, a couple
2: of very 10 seconds worth of tips. Try to use xanthan gum in some of your uh, gluten-free, a small, tiny amount. You can buy them in gourmet glad or your local kosher supermarket. It works um, so on it a thickener? It acts as a stabilizer, uh, stabilizer. because a lot of gluten-free products because they don't have wheat flour falls apart. It holds the texture and it less elasticity that bread has. Interesting. Um, so you should try to um, put a little bit of that in. But go to Melinda Strauss at kitchen-tested.com. She has an amazing, delicious recipe for apple cider donuts. They're gluten-free and dairy-free. So we're getting... Oh. Whoa. A great power of a donut, as That's well cool. as people who can't have lactose or gluten. That's cool. Yeah, so um, she has basically a step-by-step guide on her blog, which is so easy, and it's got coconut flour in it and coconut oil, which is the latest buzzword in, in the uh, kosher cooking, in, in the cooking world at large. Um, another thing about making donuts gluten-free is you have to buy a donut pan. They cannot be fried because they would just completely fall apart and make your pot a big, messy glump. Well, so you Naomi, need to that can then... buy them at Bed Bath and Beyond or your local uh, houseware store and you kind of like spoon it in or pipe it in into a donut pan and you kind of bake it. So it's probably a little bit on the healthier side also.
0: Okay, but th- then that begs it's the mold. question, Naomi. It's a mold. It's we a need round donut mold. We need a sock though. If it's not fried, is it a donut? Discuss. I mean don't discuss now, but you know what I mean. Okay, what's our next tip?
2: um okay N- next tip if you are just in-, in general when you are frying donuts and you are frying potato latkes that's yes. so important the oil's got to be at 360 degrees buy yourself an oil thermometer
0: oh good that tip is
2: like you know i shout this from the rooftop right No, that's good um, people go fried food i'm like it's not so bad if you use an, an oil thermometer, if, it's, if the oil is too low, it makes your food so soggy and gross right. and more fattening. Right. If it's too high, clearly it's going to burn. So the magic number is 360 degrees. Buy yourself that thermometer. Thermometer. You can use it for schnitzel. You can use it for donuts. Um, can I just say, I know it's gluten-free week, but there's nothing like a deep-fried Oreo. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you. you There's actually a recipe on my blog you can go for, and cheese larkas. I've had an incredible response to the cheese Oh, larker. I saw that. And let's just talk about that you can use gluten-free flour in my cheese come My ricotta cheese larkas, sometimes it's called a pancake. I have. She was actually a guest on my show, Orly Goddessman, um, and she has a line of gluten-free flours. And I used her, it's called Blends by Orly, and I used equal, same exchange, the, um, I think it was half a cup of flour for Mm -hmm. half a cup of her uh, Blends by Orly gluten-free flour. And it worked. Put that in, and it was amazing. Amazing. My my daughter, that's gluten-free,
0: loved it. Tomorrow morning, Naomi hosts Table for Two, and that's at 9 a.m. She will be joined by... Alexi e. Dub from the com, Melinda Strauss from kitchen-tested.com and Khany Applebaum from busy in brooklyn Naomi I know you're in the middle of 70,000 things Thank you so much for taking I 2 am. minutes thank you. and by the way shout out to you thank you for my salt that you brought back for me from hawaii Naomi added to my salt collection it was <laughs> it's an amazing selection and I really appreciate it even being thought of so thank you my pleasure. I called the OU to find out which kind of salts
2: I could buy because they didn't have Hershes. So I actually called the OU and I said, Hi, I'm in Hawaii and I need to know about these salts. They researched it for me, got back to me. The OU was amazing.
0: Thank you. And I shout out to the OU. Thank you to them as well. All right. Thank sa- ha- you, may- ha- ha- ma- everyone. You too. Take care. You've been listening to That's Life on the Nahum Siegel. Network. We're going to pull up our song in the background simply because, yes. We are over time, and uh, I try to be better about that, but frankly, I wasn't that good today. Full line of programming right after That's Life. The live lunch is hosted by Nachum from 11 to 1. At 1 p.m., it's the stunt show. Hosted by Rabbi Eliyahu Fink, we're going to talk about something today on The Stunt Show that people rarely feel comfortable talking about, and that is gambling and addiction in the Frum community. Don't want to miss that show. Then at 6 p.m., it's an encore presentation of ha- of Charlie Harari's Book of Life Hanukkah special. It aired two days ago. If you missed it then, you don't want to miss it today. Join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as he hosts JM in the AM. As we promote Naomi Table for 2 tomorrow morning, As well, that is at 9 a.m. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel with a special Hanukkah show because it's different from everybody else's Hanukkah show. He's been working hard on that. Don't miss it. That's Saturday night at 10 p.m. Sunday morning. J.M. Sunday from 7 to 9 with Matas. Closing today with Chaim Pshutim, Simple Lives by the Idan Reichel Project. This week was another crazy week in this world. It started with the hostage standoff in Sydney, continued with the cowardly slaughter of 130 children, and then the release of Alan Gross from Cuba—it made me think of this line in the song: "Shakol anashim chayim bli pachad v'nisharim biyachad chayim pshutim ichak Chanukah sameach to all." That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. <laughs> על הצד באה לראות את כוחנו. גם אנחנו אז נוחים לראות אז ב ourselves the we not know. Never again. And I,
1: don't know, but I'm Oh,